so hello everyone and welcome to Picture the Scene podcast. But sadly today, Rachel is not with me as she's off enjoying the winter sun somewhere with her family. But you know what they say, what life takes away with one hand, it gives with the other. As today I'm joined by a very special guest. Now some say he is a British version of, albeit a better looking British version of, Joe Rogan. Some people say that he's been podcasting on true crime from the UK that long that when they were writing a doomsday book, he got them to include all the smaller places so that the other podcasters would have some detail to talk about when introducing a new location. And that's right, I'm talking about none other than the OG, the podfather of UK true crime, lover of hot sweaty rooms in the northwest of England, Adam from UK True Crime. Now, Adam, that may only be the 37th best introduction that you've ever had, but welcome. <laughs> hey, Andy, it's great to be here this week. And when you were talking about all those great accolades, I assume you meant Bob, Twisted Britain, or Paul, True Crime Enthusiast, not me. Well, you know, they were the warm-up act, and now we're on to you. I, I hear this a lot, Andy. I hear this a lot wherever I go, as you can imagine. Now, just in case anyone has been hiding under a rock, why don't you tell us a little bit about your pod and a little brief rundown. Okay, so I started my podcast in November 2016. The only other UK true crime podcast at that time was The Excellence, They Walk Among Us. And I thought, yeah, I'll have a go at that. I'll give it a go. So here we are, what, six years later. I do it every single week. Um, and I love it as much as I did the day I started. I still make all the same mistakes. I still screw up my audio most weeks. But I love it. Love true crime and I love podcasting, Andy. And I am one of the many tens of thousands of people that love it as well. So I'm really excited to have you on here, Adam. And and for those of you out there, if you've never heard of Adam and his show, then how exactly do you guess the year of the songs that you listen to? That's what I want to know. <laughs> if you don't know me, um, anyone listening to this for the first time, think of me as like the Ian Beale of UK true crime podcasting. I don't know whether that's a good... Is that a good or a bad thing? (laughs) Ian Beale's just always there, isn't he? And I say that when people say, oh, you get lots of listens to your podcast. It's because I'm just there every week, as you do at the moment. You just keep producing the same content week in, week out. Not the same content. This isn't Crime Junkie. I don't plagiarise week after week. But the same (laughs) sort of true crime content. (laughs) Get me in for some slander straight away. So, and additionally... Now, before we move on to the reason you're all listening, the actual content, I'd like to remind everyone that we can be found on all the social media platforms, Twitter and Insta, we're at ScenePod, that's at S-C-E-N-E-P-O-D, and Facebook by searching for our name. Now, additionally, you can often find me lurking and semi-trolling in Adam's thronging, over 80,000 strong Facebook group, UK True Crime. So why not join and have some interesting conversations, would you say, Adam? And also, you can find me in my OnlyFans group. You're more than welcome to join me there. I've got enough pictures of feet, or I would do. (laughs) And finally, before we get onto the the content, we released our very first ever Patreon episode, not so long ago, last week actually. And now we'll be releasing one a month with an occasional odd bit of extra content too. So for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee, why not come and give us a listen on there and support us? Now then, Adam, this question usually gets reserved for Rachel. But seeing as she's not here, let me ask you, are you ready for some true crime? Oh, yes. No, great. I picked today's episode just for you. Oh. I hope you like it. Now, just a word of warning. I do go into details of violence, but I don't usually do, or try not to anyway. But I think you need them here to see the picture of the crimes in full. 
So without further ado, if it's safe to do so, I'd like all of you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. I'd like to take us back to September the 2nd in the year 2000 and to the town of Rochdale. Now Rochdale is in Lancashire, which is in the northwest of England. For the UK, it's the largest town with a population of 107,000 back in the 2011 census. And while it is a town in its own right, it forms part of what is deemed the Greater Manchester area. So like most places in England, its first recorded history dates back to 1086 with the record in the Doomsday Book. But it's likely to be a lot older than that. And maybe how old is the oldest sauna in Rochdale, Adam? Um. <laughs> when, when did you first start going? To the saunas? To the, to the one in Rochdale, yeah. So for people wondering what on earth we're talking about, I recorded an episode of my podcast, which, not being a populist, I decided to call Sex Games. And it involves someone being coerced into a sauna in Rochdale to have sex with lots of people. And I just found it the most bizarre thing that this could happen in Rochdale. So I talk about Rochdale a lot, and now I've got a deep affinity with the city. I said affinity with the city, Andy. And it's, yes. a, it's a great place to hang out with the guys. Exactly. Well, yeah, we'll leave it there. But its largest claim to fame, Rochdale, that is, it's a birthplace of the cooperative movement to which more than one billion people worldwide belong to on the last check back in 2012. Now, more recently, and sadly, I might I add, it's probably more well known for the fact it was home to the Rochdale Child Sex Abuse Ring, which discovered that at least 47 underage girls had been groomed and sexually abused by at least 19 men. Now, again, subsequent investigations found at least two more child sex abuse rings with dozens more men involved and, unfortunately, dozens of girls abused. But back to the 2nd of September, the year 2000, which was a Saturday, and it was in Rochdale, and I'd like to take it to the night of the 2nd. I'm, I'm getting a bit more nervous here, Adam. I'm going to cut this out, don't worry. But no, don't worry. You, you don't make, be nervous. You're making me a bit it. nervous here. I'm making eyes at you. That's what it is, Andy. Yes, yeah. It, it was it was overcast but dry that evening, with temperatures ranging between fourteen and sixteen degrees Celsius, which is about fifty-seven to sixty degrees Fahrenheit. Now, while dry, the wind was at its strongest that day, blowing northerly at around nine miles per hour, so not too strong. And probably you could live without your coat this evening. It's weather you'd probably be happy with for a September night time. Uh, now, I'd like to introduce you to Eileen Jowzuk. She was 65 years old and a retired school teacher. It was late in the evening and she was returning home from the local pub. Now this wasn't usual for her, Adam. She wasn't a big drinker, but on this occasion she'd been to the pub because there was a small college reunion with some of her old friends from college. So she'd had a pleasant evening. She wasn't drunk and she was on her way home. And she was probably looking forward to telling her husband John what had happened that evening. Now, Aline would never return home, though. Later on that evening, when she had failed to appear, her husband, 79-year-old John, who I mentioned a moment ago, he called the authorities and a search began. Now, I'm not going to beat around the bush here. Aline was found dead some 50 yards away from her home in Deeplish, which is on the outskirts of Rochdale. Now, have you heard of this case before, Adam? Do you know what no, happened to her? No, I've not heard of it at all. Okay, so let's find out then. As she was on her way home, she was attacked and taken to an alleyway. During the attack, her attacker raped her in more than one place. Her attacker removed most of her clothes. Her face had been stamped on so hard that her lower jaw had separated from her skull. In addition to that, both her eyelids and eyeballs had been cut out, sorry, cut with a knife. Finally, she was strangled to death with her own tights. Now, I know 
listeners that's a lot more detail than i normally go into but you see the context later on when she was found it was discovered that her rosary beads and her wedding ring had been stolen so who would do such a thing i think you agree adam that robbery of an old person or robbery of anyone violently is horrible and despicable as is a rape of any person but to kill after a sexually motivated robbery it just seems the ultimate in cruelty oh the, all crime is is bad but it's, it's when when people attack the more vulnerable in our society a 65 year old woman walking home after a normal night out it sickens me as well andy i know yeah so she was killed by michael hardacre now, Hardacre was 23 years old at the time of the attack on Eileen. Now, the attack on Eileen was not his first criminal offence, and sadly, it also wouldn't be his last. And I'm going to get on to what he did after his murder of Eileen, but before I do, to add proper context, I need to have a look at what he did prior to his attack on Eileen. So, at the age of 13, back in 1990, he received his first conviction that led to detention, those being 16 offences of dishonesty, dishonesty, and three counts of criminal damage. So for those convictions, he was sent to a young offenders institution. And that sparked a period of stays in young offenders institutions throughout his teenage years for various offences, mainly different forms of theft and drug offences, but no serious violent offences. Now, violence via muggings did occur, but nothing that left lifelong physical damage. Lots of mental damage, yes, but not lifelong physical. Even though that was his first conviction back in 1990, at the age of 13, the first time he actually got caught was in 1987, when he was 10 years old, for theft offences. He just, nothing happened to him then, because he was too young. Now, after he was too old to be sentenced to a young offender institute, he didn't stop committing crime. He was simply sentenced to prison sentences instead of young offenders. Notable moments, I'm not going to go through uh, his entire history, but notable moments included robbery in 1991 when he was 14, attempted robbery in 1994 when he was 17, which included, but wasn't exclusive to, a 66-year-old woman. Then actual robbery in 1997 of a 77-year-old woman who he attacked from behind. If you remember, he attacked Eileen, at the start of September, on the 2nd. Now, some reports, I know our listeners do like to uh, go and look into these crimes, so some reports do state the 3rd, including a later appeal by Michael, which I'll get onto, but that was simply because she was found after midnight. So, in the early hours of the 3rd, but in all likelihood, she was attacked in the 2nd. Still, because due to the distance of the pub from her home, combined with when she left, and how long it would take to walk, like logic dictates it would have been the 2nd just to avoid those questions that you're going to send me out there, people. Now, however, I do digress slightly. He was released from prison for his last conviction in March of 2000, so six months before the attack on Eileen. He would end up having 29 pages of convictions in the police computer. Wow. So, yeah, so that's how prolific was his criminality. Now, he largely robbed and stole to feed his heroin and amphetamine habit that he had. So severe violence and sexual crimes he wasn't actually known for and it wasn't expected at all though with hindsight it probably should have been you could see the escalation happening for his life the one police officer was actually quoted as saying after his eventual conviction he wasn't a type or so we thought he was a persistent thief someone who could not keep his hands over other people's property he was what we call a scrot and nothing more the police didn't see him as anything other than probably a nuisance i imagine by the sounds of that would you say well, when you're telling me this, Andy, that I, I know I go on about this and I can't help it because I've got personal experience of it. 
But when are we going to stop sending our children to these young offenders institution? If they're a danger to you and I, I get it. But the, he was sent there, it was for robbery, it was for other offences. There are better ways to deal with people than these young offenders institutions. Look at the suicide rates. They are terrible, scary, frightening places. I, I fully agree. And they tend to be finishing schools to make people become better criminals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even hearing that police person, you know, the police have got a tough job to do, we know that. But even referring to them as a scroat, even after the event, is that the sort of language we should be using? I don't think so. That's, that's a good point. I didn't think of that, but that's a very good point. So, like I say, it, what the policeman said, it would prove to be a very inaccurate description of him. Because in June of that year, three months after his last prison stint, but four months before his attack on Eileen, a 31-year-old woman, who was never named to protect her identity, was walking to work in the same area of Rochdale at 5.15 in the morning along a canal footpath. Now, out of nowhere, Michael Hardacre appeared. He stabbed her in the shoulder with a broken bottle, unprovoked, might I add, and he threatened her to comply or he'd kill her. Now, frightened for her life, she did comply. He then dragged her into a tunnel and he ordered her to strip. He stabbed her in the face with a bottle before raping her in several places. Now, after he had done this, he then tied her hands together with a bra. And so at this point, he's stolen her valuables from her. He's committed horrible, violent sexual acts on her, multiple. He stabbed her twice, including once in the face. And he's tied her up so he's helped. So she's helpless. You'd think if robbery was his motive, he'd just leave then, wouldn't he, yeah. Adam? Yeah. Unfortunately, he didn't leave then. Once she's there bleeding, she's virtually naked and she's scared for her life. He then grabs her by the hair. He bangs her head into the wall several times. Oh. And then he headbutts her to finish it off. Oh. So why would he do this? Well, no real reason could be determined other than the fact that he just wanted to do it. And so eventually he runs off with her handbag, leaving the poor woman alone, physically and mentally scarred for life. But thankfully, might I add, alive. Hmm. So I want to move forward a few weeks now to the 3rd of August, again to the early hours of the morning in the same area. Hardacre sees a woman walking and he grabs her, threatening that he'll harm her. And he does hit her several times. But this time, however... And I was thankful to say this. He doesn't stab her. He doesn't commit any sexual violence on her or remove her clothes. He steals two gold chains and runs off. Now, I know what what was committed to her would have still horribly affected her, but at least it wasn't as bad as either Eileen or the previous woman. And and why was that? Was it in a bit more built-up place, maybe? Was that the reason? Uh, No, it wasn't. That was... um, You're asking me a question here. It was... The same MO, it, the woman was walking to work. I don't actually remember, but no, um, I don't remember, Adam, sorry. Um, I, I don't have it, I didn't write it down, I don't have it to hand. I know, she, I know she was alone, I know it wasn't busy because it was, I think, about five or six o'clock in the morning, but no, I, I don't know why. Maybe he, maybe his addiction's telling him that he needs yeah. drugs more. And it's, in, it's interesting, these attacks in the morning, interesting is the wrong word, of course, but I don't know about you, but when I go out at 4.35, 6 in the morning, I just feel naturally safe for some reason. Yes, definitely, yeah. And yeah, I often take the dog at like half 
well, it depends what time he wakes up, but half five, six, and you don't even think about danger. You just think the world's waking up, it's perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah, it comes to something that we're starting to become thankful that the only thing he does is a violent robbery, nothing more. And let's also yeah. remember that we've not even got to September yet, and that's the date he killed Eileen. So I want to move yeah. forward two more weeks now to the 17th of August, and this time it's 8.40 in the morning. So it's a little bit further on but it's still early now i did actually find the victim's name but it wasn't easy and it was obvious that she didn't want it publicly out there so i'm going to respect and just say that it was a 50 58 year old woman who was in the same area and she was walking through a subway now hardake ran up to her from behind and struck on in the face on the left hand side and he did this before forcing her onto the floor robbing her and sexually assaulting her now it's probably worth noting that one thing seemed consistent up to this point was that he screamed at each victim not to look at him while he was doing everything that he was doing. Oh. Now, his next victim was Eileen, who we got to at the beginning, yeah. now that we discussed earlier, but two things differed with her. So, yes, he beat her. Yes, he robbed her. Yes, he sexually assaulted her in the most horrible of ways that he could. And I've not described them, but it is vile. But he also... And one thing that differed with her is that he slashed her eyes and killed her. Now, we'll never know why he escalated it, but it's widely accepted, a theory from the police and the authorities in general, that he also screamed at her not to look at him. But Eileen was different from the other victims. She was not fully, but she was substantially deaf. So she may not have heard him properly. And in fact, she might have been looking at him more in her panic to try and figure out what he was saying by concentrating on his lips to so, so to make sure that she cried. So we'll never know, but it sounds like a pretty plausible re- reason, don't you think? Oh, I do. And, it, and it's very easy to, to go all amateur psychology on this morning here, isn't it? And yes. Talk about why he doesn't want to be looked at. But yeah, I think it's a very plausible reason, the deafness. It makes sense to me. So while, he, while we know he killed Eileen on the 2nd of September... And actually, it was that attack that helped catch him. He wasn't caught yet. So I'm going to leave how he was caught for the moment. So I want to move forward a few more weeks. So he's doing this every two weeks now, Adam. And I want to move forward to the 16th of September. A 19-year-old girl was at her boyfriend's home, but she got into an argument with him in the very hours of the morning. So she she decided to go to her mum's house to get away from the situation so they could both calm down a bit. Now, on her way to her mum's house, she changed her mind and she decided to go back to her boyfriend's house. Now, we don't know why she decided to go back. Her boyfriend was a manager in a pub, so he lived above the pub. And when she got back to the pub, which was his home, she tried to climb back into the yard because she couldn't get in through the gate. But as she was doing so, Hardacre appeared. Mm-hmm. He grabbed her and he pulled her to the ground. Now he put his hand around her face and he grabbed her by the hair. Her first thought was just to try and get him away, to get him to go away. So she immediately gave him all of the money that she had on her in the hopes that would work. But it didn't because he had more on his mind than simple robbery. Before I continue, I think, Adam, in my own opinion, what changed in this year is that before he used to rob to fund his habit. Yeah that's a lot of his prison sentences if violence was a part of it he accepted it as a means to an end i'm not saying it was a good means to an end but now it seems the robbery is probably why he's saying himself he's doing it but the main motivator is obvious it seems to be violence and sexually motivated rather than just robbery would you say yeah i'd agree with you so back to his latest victim again just to stress 
apart from Eileen who died, it did seem that none of the victims wanted to be wanted that exposure publicly. And you can't really blame him. It shows how horrible it was that even after he was convicted, they didn't want their names out there. Yeah. And they have the right to privacy. And I did find a couple of names, but I didn't I'm not saying them for out of respect, but it shows how much of an impact it actually had on them. And yeah, I know some people out there, they like listening and so they can Google their names and whatnot, but sometimes you have to accept that you can't do this. So yes, she gave him money, but he went nowhere and it wasn't really about the money. Instead of going anywhere, he hit her on the head and he proceeded to drag her along the pavement. Now she was, I have to say, very brave. She tried to escape more than once but he was continually hitting her, making it impossible for her to escape. And I just can't even imagine the fear she was feeling then, because she would have known that it's it's not a robbery at this point. So things then took even an even worse turn. When he had got her where he wanted her, which was out of the way, he took out a standing knife and told her that he wasn't joking. He'd already done a lot worse to other women. He then slashed her with a knife across the face and stabbed her twice in the back, causing extreme injuries to her, really serious injuries. And by this point, she was losing so much blood and she was bleeding from several places, but he still hadn't finished. He ripped her clothes off and he forced her to lay face down. Turn her like she turned around, he would cut her eyes out, which has echoes of Eileen, doesn't it? Um, he then violently raped her, again in several places. So when he had finished with her, he then went through her pockets, taking everything that she had. He ripped a necklace from her and he took her rings and watch. He then left her on the, he then left her there on the floor, naked and bleeding heavily from several areas. Now, such was her injuries, when she was found by a passerby, they actually thought that she had a red dress on, when in reality she was naked wow. and the red was just her own blood. Wow. So it shows how much she was bleeding and she had to have extensive surgery because of all the injuries that she sustained, but thankfully she she survived. And, and when she was taken, she was so close to safety, wasn't she? So yeah. close. Yeah, yeah, because she was literally, if she'd have climbed over, then she would have been safe. And she yeah. was in the process of doing that. So how was he caught? Well, for the earlier crimes, he didn't leave much evidence. He wore a condom during the attacks. Again, I think that shows that it was intentional. Yeah. And so I assumed to prevent any forensic evidence. But when he killed Eileen, they had a real chance to catch him. Because when types are used as ligatures to strangle someone, they absorb so much DNA that the police are always confident that they can get a good profile. And the police experts on the scene, they admitted as much when they saw that's how Eileen had been killed. They were really confident of getting some evidence to catch the killer. But unfortunately, when Eileen's body was transported to the morgue, the tights were left on her. And during that transportation, they they became drenched in her own blood, destroying any potential evidence that they may have been on there. And now that, that that's unacceptable, isn't it? It's absolutely. Yeah. I know it's a hard job they've got to do. Get me wrong, but that is unacceptable. Especially because they'd already identified. They admit they'd identified the tights were the key piece of evidence, and because he'd been arrested before, they would have caught him. Yeah. But but yeah, they just left him on there. It's laziness, even. But it was a second attack on the last victim that they could link to the first attacks due to the similarity, the mo. Yeah. Because he'd threatened to cut her eyes out. 
So that then rang alarm bells because of what he did to Eileen. So they were able to link the footprint he left on Eileen's face when he stamped on her jaw to the one he left in the last victim's blood. Hmm. And that linked all the crimes together, but they still needed to figure out who it was. Yeah. Now, a palm print in the blood also, it tied Hardacre to the crime. And after he was arrested, fibres from his clothes matched the one found on both Eileen and his last victim. So it he was uh, banged to rights, as people say. Do you know how he reacted when he was found? Have you found uh, that information? Yes, well, not how he reacted when he was immediately found, but when he was arrested, he claimed that he couldn't remember anything, that right. he, off, he often suffered blackouts, and that he could have been doing anything during the blackouts. In his words, he could have been doing theft and murder, because he said the blackouts happened as a result of a failed suicide attempt. Now, I personally don't believe this because the pre-planning that he went into, like, say, take a condom, and he must have been almost stalking his victims to find them. Because they, while they were in the same female radius, they were in different places. And it was at times in the morning where you'd have to go looking for someone. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, I don't believe him, but unsurprisingly, he was found guilty at the end of his trial. Now, the media made out to make good headlines that he received a total of a 146-year sentence. But in reality, it was because of the number of convictions he was sentenced to. Yeah. He, was, he was found guilty of four robberies, one indecent assault, one count of GBH, which is grievous bodily harm for our American listeners, four counts of rape, and one count of murder. So yeah, he did get 146 years technically, but they were all to be served concurrently. So in fact, he received a sentence, a life sentence with a minimum term of 21 years. Well, it was actually 22 years, but he'd served 11, year, 11 and a half months in, in remand already. No, no. So, so, so that means that he's out now, does it? We'll get to that. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good maths, uh, but he did appeal his sentence. I, I don't know about you, Adam, but when I see that someone's appealed as a true, true crime content creator, I love it because it gives you exposure to the process as to why someone got the sentence that they got originally. Yeah. So, just to say from the get-go that his appeal is unsuccessful. I'm not yep. going to leave you hanging there. His sentence wasn't reduced. But here is why, and I find this fascinating. So the judge in his original trial set out at 14 years to be the base amount he had to serve before taking into consideration any other mitigating factors. Now, 14 years, for people out there I don't know, it's the base term for what is classed as, and I'm quoting this from the law, average, normal, or unexceptional murder. I'm not quite sure what an average, normal, or unexceptional murder is. But, uh, but yeah, so, but then the trial judge went on to list all the mitigating and aggravating factors. Now, again, often you hear a number and think, how did they get to that? In this case, 21 years or 22. So let's show how he got to that. He started off from 14, and then he said the aggravating factors were the fact that there was evidence of sexual maltreatment, the fact that there was evidence of sadism or gratuitous violence, illustrated by the stamping on the face, which and it actually caused Eileen's lower jaw to be separated from her skull. and by the eyes having been cut with a knife. Also, the fact that the killing took place in conjunction with a robbery, and the fact that this was part part of a campaign of robbery and rape. He said there was only one mitigating factor, and that was Hardacre's age. He went on to say that while a sentence of more than 30 years minimum was rare, 
it shouldn't be ruled out, but he eventually went to recommend a 30-year minimum sentence due to the attacks that took place and the severity of them. Now you're thinking, but he didn't get 30 years, he got 22 years. The Lord Chief Justice, however, said that while it was a terrible crime, he'd recommended a minimum term of 22 years, but if he'd ever be allowed out, it would be a different matter. So in the end, he got 22 years. I was reported as 21 because he did 11 and a half months of remand. So he actually, his appeal was because of the length of the sentence, not that he was innocent. Yeah. Now, the appeal judge took all these things into consideration, along with the opinions of the trial judge and the Lord Chief Justice. Now, Eileen's family decided not to make a victim impact statement for the appeal. But the appeal judge did say that he saw the impact statements that were made without being released to the public. So the, the original impact statements from the victims and Eileen's family were never released to the public because they wanted them to remain private. They were also... So yeah, but the judge had read them, both the appeal judge and the trial judge. And interestingly, one of the main points of the appeal that Hardacre said was his behaviour in prison in the five years between sentencing and appealing. Now, so people from within the prison, it didn't say who, but it said that he'd shown a determination to address his behaviour, that he's on enhanced privileges as a wing cleaner due to his good behaviour, and that he has shown genuine victim empathy and remorse. So they were saying they supported his appeal. Now, the appeal judge, and I like this judge, um, he all but dismissed this, however, saying that he didn't detect a single hint of remorse in the letter Hardacre had submitted with his appeal. He also went on to say that he doesn't consider Hardacre's progress in prison to be exceptional at all. He said that he thought the minimum sentence should have been what the original judge recommended, 30 years. But because at the time the Secretary of State would have followed the Lord Chief Justice recommendation of 22 years, he had to stick with that. But he quite clearly said that he would have given him 30 years. If he, if he had that ability. He went on to, he finished by stressing that the public should rest assured that it doesn't mean he'll be released after 22 years. So just to round this up, and I, you're not going to like this answer here, but I haven't actually been able to find an update as to whether he's out or not. But he had 21 years in September of 20, what, sorry, 2001. So that means his minimum term was up last month. Well, Andy, this is a huge thing, isn't it, that I hear a lot when I speak to the victims of crime. And they don't know when the perpetrators of those crimes are out. I think it's outrageous. It is. It should be. I know in the States, they have a say at the parole hearings, don't they? And they can actually go and say, I don't think this person should be out. And then they get notified. Maybe in the UK, sometimes they do notify them. But yeah, you're right. It it should be crystal clear because this person's had an impact on their life. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. Massive, massive. And, and my view, I, I get a lot of criticism because I think we send way too many people to prison. The only people we should send to prison, in my view, are those that are going to hurt you, me, our listeners and their families. Now, this guy is clearly a danger. Yes. And I, I fully agree. And I've had some slight from people who've listened to us before. But yeah, no, it's prison should be about rehabilitation and if you if it's truly about that then not only would it free up resources and spaces in prison it would mean that people like this who deserve to be in for a very long time if not permanently they would have the resources to deal with them and keep them in there for that amount of time exactly right exactly right yeah it's um not not dealing with insurance fraud for three years where that person could do six years community service in my opinion Exactly, but so there we go, Adam. It's I invite you on. 
and I gave you a really happy story. So, and we've changed the justice system for the better. We have, yeah. Let's face it, the way it's going, Andy, we could both be justice minister in the next few weeks. So, yeah, it's it's not a waste of time. Listen, I'm putting my hat up for a prime minister in a couple of weeks. <laughs> you could be justice minister, all you like. Uh, well, I, I find it hard to follow Dominic Raab, but I'll do my best. So, for one last time, if it's safe for you all to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes, and picture the scene. You're walking down the street. It's early in the morning, and if you're a woman, or if your loved one is, all you have in your mind is a day ahead, a busy day at work, and what and what you have to do when bang, your life changes in an instant. What would you do? So, Adam, thank you. This has been a pleasure. Um, are you still there? Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. still there. I thought you'd frozen then, sorry. No, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking next time, can we just do a, like a simple robbery case or something, Andy? Yeah, well, yeah. I, do you know what? I hadn't heard of this. I normally don't. I don't know about you, Adam, but I don't, um, when I'm looking at what to cover, it's usually things that interest me that have piqued my interest from somewhere. And f- this one was a different because, I'll be honest, I wanted to cover something from Rochdale. For you but um but when i got into it i was like why is this not like people should know about this this is a yes. this is a guy who went on a basically a, a rampage of rape and he killed someone in such a severe way and i'd never heard of this before and i'm, oh. I'm betting most people haven't i know if I, it doesn't get any more serious than this does it this is the most horrendous crimes it is indeed but yeah we'll leave it there thank you everyone for listening and adam I know Rachel's not here, but I know that she does love your show. I love your show. Um, Maybe, hopefully, one in the future, we can have you back on again. And thank you very much. Well, despite what other people, what everyone else says about you and Rachel, I think you've both got great judgment, Andy. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. (laughs) 